0: i Spaces Welcome to the Ether. Today is Friday, June 17th, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Oregon Blockchain Group chats with Sergei Gorbanov. cross chain interoperability with Axelar. Let's take a listen.
1: Let's, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, for those of you that are in the conversation right now, uh, this is the weekly Organ Blockchain Twitter Spaces. We are back. Uh, my name's Eli. Co-hosting as always uh, with fellow OBG analyst Bobby. Uh, for those of you who are new here, um, Oregon Blockchain Group is a student-led organization based out of the new University of Oregon. Uh, our goal is to drive, further drive adoption of blockchain technology and related decentralized-based technologies um, and really do that through promoting strong crypto education. Uh, today, we have Sergey Gorbinov joining us, co founder of Axlar. I hope I didn't butcher that name. Uh, welcome, Sergey. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Hey, everyone. Uh, great to be here. Uh, just to get started, do you want to maybe introduce yourself uh, and your, your work at Axlar and then uh, the project for those who may not be familiar? Yeah, sure. Um, so Sergei, you know, my background
2: uh, technical originally worked, uh, you know, on everything from distributed systems to uh, cryptography. I, you know, went to grad school at MIT doing theoretical cryptography and research for a while and uh, started to play with the blockchain ecosystem, you know, around 2014, 2015. I worked on this uh, project called uh, Algorand. So and I helped to kind of co-design it and uh, take it to the market um with um you know the the team out of MIT and uh, you know afterwards uh, we just saw the problem of uh, cross-chain interoperability come up as the next uh, big problem for the ecosystem and so myself and my co-founder yorgos uh we decided to focus on that full time so and uh, what we're doing at axler is really uh working towards delivering um interoperability and cross-chain communication for entire web3 Right. So what that means is that um, all of these different blockchains that have been built to date, they're mostly silos right now. There is some kind of ad hoc, you know, bridging protocols that are sometimes available, but nothing really that unites them and allows applications to interact and compose across these ecosystems in a simple and efficient way. And so that's what we're focused on at Acceler. You know, been working on this for just under two years to date you know raised kind of good healthy capital and uh yeah you know continuing to build and uh you know excited to help transition
3: the blockchain to a more chain agnostic world uh yeah I, my name's bobby by the way it's nice to meet you and talk to you sergey i've been really excited to uh, talk to you this week because i've been doing a lot of research on um the tcpip And how that protocol could influence the protocols that are um, allowing for cross-chain communication between blockchains. Um, And so I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, your two protocols that you have today on Axelar. and get to know more about uh, CGP and CTP, um, but I kind of just wanted to start off with a, a, a more different route and then we can end on something more technical um, I, I've heard a lot of different uh, talks with you about liquidity and and sort of um, from my research the the goal of Axlar, um there's a lot of goals, but one of them is maybe to uh, enable more chains and applications to access cross chain liquidity. So it allows them to focus on their own development while um, having those tools. Um, my thoughts are that human nature tends towards network effects and we see this a lot in social contracts or, or money or liquidity or even like phone communication. And th- those networks that have um, the most users uh, have the greatest utility which in turn creates this network externality that causes more to join. Um, and so like the whole entire thought around this is that if that is true uh, in regards to liquidity um, for Axelar and for others within the Cosmos ecosystem and within blockchain in general, um, how do we not fractalize liquidity too much to the point of market inefficiency, but similarly not create a center central liquidity provider or monopoly in the interchain?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, so, I think people kind of a uh, you know, there there are multiple problems like you said, right? To tr- to solve you know in a cross chain slash interoperable world, I think one is you know unifying liquidity and making it accessible from anywhere. Now, I think the traditional model that people are used to in the blockchain is to move liquidity around. Okay, so you know, as an example, you have some liquidity on Ethereum you know, you want to access this liquidity, let's say on, you know, Avalanche or Cosmos chain, you can move it, you can use some kind of a front end, uh, you know, maybe take some risk in the process um, and then use an application. Now, the more, and, you know, I think that comes with, you know, it's all benefits and you have to be careful, you know, when liquidity should be moved and like what use cases uh, it makes sense for. And then you have to talk about, you know, how does it get fragmented across all types of providers and solutions and so on and so forth. I think what I'm more excited about is actually allowing both liquidity movements, but also composition of applications without necessarily having to move liquidity around, right? So what I mean is that there are two ways of building in a cross-chain application or cross-chain experiences. One is to move an asset to where the application is. And another one is to move some of the application logic to where the assets are and then executed there and then just synchronize kind of application state across different chains, right? And kind of with Axler and some of the work that we're doing and um, a lot of it really comes down to kind of enabling things like general cross-chain contract calls and general message passing where you can manipulate sort of liquidity wherever the deepest liquidity pools are, right, so it's usually like on the native chain, where that uh, asset was created, for instance, you can make computation around it, right, so you can lock it, you can unlock it, you can create pools with it. And then you can take that information. And then you can share it across other chains to build your cross chain application, right. Uh, And so that actually results in experiences where, you know, maybe certain underlying like routed assets need to be moved as a liquidity, for instance, like USDC or some other stable coins. Um, But liquidity may or may not move depending on the application use case. Right. So let me give you an example. Like if you have an NFT on one chain and you want to take like a loan against it on a different chain, there are multiple ways to instantiate it, right? You can move the NFT on one chain and then kind of use the application. You can move uh, the asset that you want to take a loan against it to you know the chain where the NFT is and then use it in an application. Or you can actually have a cross-chain native application where let's say NFT is locked on chain one, then a message is propagated to the chain two where you know the asset corresponding to this NFT that you want to take a loan against is then released to the user's wallet. Right? And, and so in this third instantiation, you're not actually moving liquidity, you're not even fragmenting it. you simply allowing this cross-chain native experience to interact which um, again like sometimes you do need to move assets sometimes you um you know don't but i just want to make it clear that i think this new world where you can compose applications
3: with the different models i think is something you know i'm pretty excited about does that make sense yeah that totally makes sense is is what you're referring to your ctp protocol
2: yeah, so CTPs are kind of a, yeah, an API that we extend, uh, you know, uh, expose on top of the gateways. Um, this API now consists of effectively like three function calls, right? You can send a token and move liquidity, you can send a message, or you can send a message with a token, right? And then, yeah, that's kind of an application layer protocol, sort of cross-chain transfer protocol, I think, from the original white paper, and applications can, can interact with it to make those cross-chain calls.
3: Uh, Yeah, so I think that like, there's kind of two vectors that I'm noticing here and tell me if I'm correct. There's the ease of use or slash barrier of entry to joining a cross-chain network or cross-chain protocol. And then there's the ease of use for the user um, for using these cross-chain protocols. And it sounds like CTP provides ease of uh, provides a lower barrier of entry to App specific or D apps, and maybe that provides a greater ease of use to the user. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So the, the end goal, I think, with
2: those protocols is A, make it easier for the apps to build these cross-chain native experiences and you know tap into the global liquidity and composability. So kind of access the whole market. And then B, as a result of it, like you said, the user can then interact with this app no matter where they are, no matter what wallet they have, and then you know be able to uh, kind of make those cross chain calls with one click transactions, and the underlying protocol will just execute them across any different chain. Uh,
1: <clears throat> so, so kind of going off of that, how easy and what does the process look like? Um, say uh, Ethereum, Solana, uh, Avalanche, any of these chains, if they want to, plug into Axlar and uh, enable this this interoperability between networks? How easy is that uh, currently? What does the process look like for that? Um, and then is there any barrier involving say if you're using EVM versus CosWasm versus any of these other um, I guess tech stacks themselves? What, is, what does that whole process look like? Yeah, it kind of depends on the stack. You know, at the network layer,
2: we kind of At least right now, we optimize for efficient onboarding of, you know, IBC and like Cosmos based chains, but also EVM based chains. So let's say for an EVM based chain that supports Solidity, you know, um, our validators have to register support for it. And then um, it's kind of a governance command that can be run on top of the network to just deploy, you know, a gateway to it um, that exposes this cross-chain transfer protocols. And, um, you know, that's it. And from that moment, that network becomes interconnected with everything else, right? So same thing on the Cosmos side, you know, we can set up an IBC connection. And then from that point, um, that Cosmos chain kind of becomes interconnected with everything else. So the whole process is pretty smooth, um, you know, and we're working on a bunch of other integrations and modules, like including Bitcoin. Um, And so to kind of make the process easier, what we have done is really build At the platform layer, a set of building blocks or, you know, set of Legos that you can compose to uh, make interoperability, you know, as easy as possible. So, for instance, things like uh, voting uh, gadgets. Right. So what that means is that when you want to receive a message from a a given chain, usually our decentralized network of validators has to run a consensus to agree on the state of that, you know, message. So um, we call them like as finality or voting gadgets. And then you can kind of instantiate them in different ways with your own parameters that are unique for your chain. Um, so that's one thing. And then you know there are things like multi-party signing protocols, right? So all of the validators have to collectively, let's say, sign a message to uh, be relayed to a destination chain. And so there is this multi-party signing protocol as a building block you can use. And so then on top of it, if you want to, you know, connect a new ecosystem that let's say has its own smart contract platform then you have to build a certain translation logic. And so this translation logic comes, at least right now, is a Cosmos module that you can, um, you know, you can write or we're writing a bunch of them that simply parses events from that blockchain. You know, it can also generate events to that blockchain. And then once those events are parsed, um, you know, they become routed to the right destination chains kind of underneath at the network layer. But yeah, so what we have done is, again, like, EVM, IBC, pretty easy to onboard, you know, um, depending on the chain, but like, you know, a matter of 10 minutes or uh, maybe a day for some of the EVM chains, validators have to register for it. And then other chains, uh, it's a matter of composing these building blocks um, to to make the the
1: connection. Awesome. Um, I guess kind of uh, deviating from that, but there are a lot of um, like we were talking about earlier, there are cross-trained bridges, there are trusted bridges, there are trustless bridges. Um, projects like Ren Wormhole uh, are kind of two flavors of that, and then there are protocols like Axlar, and then like Layer Zero, which it kind of seems like uh, they are they are sitting underneath all of that and facilitating, I guess, uh, a deeper um translation translation of information it kind of like like versus wormhole where you have that that asset transfer that where you're locking on on one chain transfer transferring to the other um like you were describing with axlar it's 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 easier for the user and it's 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 even different where you don't need to move that 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 asset at all so so how are protocols like layer zero um and axlar How do you guys uh, differentiate each other and how are you guys similar and different? Yeah. So, I mean, protocol at layer zero at the end of the day is like a messaging protocol, right? That
2: doesn't have a transport layer underneath it. So, it sort of relies on kind of transport layer by, you know, relayers and oracles. Um, And, uh, you know, I think uh, effectively that's where you get your trust from, right? And then, you you know, you as an application have to decide who is this relayer, who is this oracle? Um, and I think right now kind of the relayer is just like layer zero themselves and like an Oracle, I think it's like two out of three multi-sig. So it's a multi-sig protocol right now, the way it's instantiated, right. Um, because they don't have this transport layer. And so at Axler, what we're really, really doing is kind of a building, this decentralized, robust transport layer, which is, you know, powered by proof of stake consensus and kind of open and permissionless validator set. And then on top of it, we have this messaging protocol, right? Cross-chain transfer protocol, general message passing and things like that. So that's sort of a messaging protocol, uh, but it's really powered by this uh, decentralized kind of a transport layer underneath it, which, you know, um, layer zero effectively outsources to to external parties.
3: Um, we're talking about transport layers a lot. So I think taking it back to some past history is very useful, especially when looking at Axelar and IBC. Um, so when talking about, uh, TCP/IP, the way that it communicated state, or at least from my understanding of it, was through fate sharing. Is is this idea of fate sharing the same uh, way that state is communicated over TCP or not TCP over um, uh, CTP or um, CTG?
2: Yeah. So, can you actually elaborate
3: on that a little bit? I'm not yeah. Sure. So, uh, um, yeah. fate sharing. Uh, over TCP was the idea that the state information was saved on hosts and hosts were at the endpoints of communication. Um, is, and my question uh, sort of is, is the information with CTP or CTG saved at the endpoints? Would they be relayers or archive nodes? I don't, I don't particularly know, but where's the information of the state saved?
2: Yeah. So yeah, good. Um I guess the core principle, you know, both behind kind of a TCP and what we're doing, you know, with Axelar is to allow the developer to decide where the information needs to be uh saved and shared, right? Um you know, and you decide where the logic needs to live, you decide where the asset needs to live, and you decide, you know, when an asset needs to move to the logic or, you know, the other way around. Um and um you know, in most of these instantiations, then you kind of, there are two models, right? Uh, where we have seen built, um, you know, in the blockchains, there's one model where you have your different blockchains, you you have your state stored on all of those blockchains, right? So for instance, you have AMM on one, you have another AMM on another that has state for that instance of AMM, and then you can do cross-chain calls, calls to compose them with one another, right? So that's sort of one instance. So in that case, yeah, the information is stored on the chains where the logic for the AMM is hosted, and then you sort of synchronize across them through message passing. Um, and then there is a second instance that we're seeing where, you know, you can host pretty much all of your logic of application logic on the best chain that's suited for your application, right? Uh, and then that chain will do most of the complex, uh, you know, computation logic. And then you have almost like satellite sort of contracts or requests um, that are sent from other chains which whose only job is to kind of route information uh, back to this master home base where most of the logic is stored, right? Um, for both, you know, kind of a TCP and serve Axler, how application gets instantiated is a choice of a developer. And it's a choice that depends on, you know, things like asset locality, information locality, you know, uh, Speed of finalization and things like that, and so we'll actually I think see different instantiations which um, you know I think will that will matter for different
3: use cases so does that process of saving the state on like one host area and then using it as like the satellite um, to call to for the state information make the process more efficient
2: um it depends on the use case, right? So, you know, in some use cases, you want to just route most of the information, you know, to to one chain. Uh, in some other use cases, you yeah want to kind of compose on the, you know, across different uh, smart contracts that are hosted on, um, on multiple chains. So, um, I mean, I would say the following, right? Um, I think the instantiation where most of the logic lives on a single chain, almost like your home base, And then other chains are merely used as like, you know, satellite chains that don't even have state, but mostly they, you know, relay messages that kind of communicate maybe very little state, um, but all of it that sort of relayed to the master chain um, allows you to, A, pick the best, you know, chain for your needs for your application, right? Like maybe you're optimizing for high safety or tooling around it or, you know, low finality and things like that. And then uh, because there's very little logic on other chains, um, you know, and you're mostly just routing it to this master home-based chain, um, you know,
3: you can definitely make a pretty efficient uh, instantiation. Great. Well, I wanted to zoom out here for a bit because we got into the specifics a lot and I enjoy those, um, but I got a kind of more broad general question. And I don't know if you can answer it, but it's kind of just more of a fun one. If we we're talking about, you know, the internet's relation to the interchain, and I'm just wondering if, you know, you had to put a date on it, where do you think we're at right now in the uh, interchain's growth story versus the internets? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I like to think about it a lot, but
2: uh, I think there's two dates. <laughs> and I think there are two dates because... Um, I would say the evolution of infrastructure development in the internet um, was very different than, you know, and its relationship with the applications um, was very different than what we're seeing in the blockchain today. So to kind of elaborate, I think the internet shaped out to be pretty much from the ground up, right? Like, you know, 70s, 80s, people were figuring out those core communication protocols, like how do the networks have to look like? You know, night as you see in some early examples, you know, from emails to file transfers to some early you know use cases of web, and then you know, infrastructure underneath it was already kind of unknown. These messaging protocols were pretty much converged on, and then it was a question of how do you build you know efficient infrastructure around those messaging protocols and um, you know actually support the application use cases. And so you know, we saw the birth of kind of a Google Yahoo's, right and um, You know um um everything else afterwards in the blockchain ecosystem it's a little bit reversed where i feel like a lot of the demand actually comes from the applications which are a lot more mature at this point than the infrastructure right so you've seen all this DeFi, you've seen these nfts okay they're they're great and you know i think over the last few years we saw some pretty You know pretty okay i would say you know you access and experiences there's still a lot of room to improve but they're usable right there's millions of users you know people are making money some people are losing money some people are making art right selling it um exchanging information and so on and so forth but then we on the infrastructure side it's actually a pull where we're seeing a lot of this demand and said okay how does my application talk cross-chain how do i send assets from one blockchain ecosystem and so We're still figuring out, you know, at the core infrastructure layer, some of these messaging protocols. How does the network look like? How does the architecture look like? How do the applications interact with it? And so we're almost like building it in parallel uh, with applications that are, you know, needing these today. Um, And so then I would say like applications in the blockchain space are somewhere, you know, in kind of a 2003 era, right? But the infrastructure in the blockchain space is somewhere. You know, in the 90s, I would say, you know, maybe late late 80s, early 90s, uh, if not, you know, lower than that, uh, just because it's it's still trying to, to catch up to the application use
1: cases. I would, uh, I'd love to touch on this, this UX aspect, or uh, UI, excuse me, UI aspect of things. Because I, I just, I think it's so important for... Uh, and I think we all agree it's so important for increased adoption um, and increased use cases. It's it's got to be smooth. It's got to be easy. Any like anyone's got to be able to transfer assets from one ecosystem to the next, or even send assets from one person. Like the the complexity of the technology is still just at such a high high level. So, how are you specifically? And and I guess when you're developing axlar how are you guys thinking about making this this ui smooth how are on the on the user side of things cuz we've we've talked a lot on the the back end and 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 the builders but on on a user side of things how are how are you guys really working to make this a smooth experience for for the user
2: yeah no great question so two things a first of all we have a mindset where you know, we started the comp with a simple in mind, right? Allow a user to interact with any asset, any application, any chain, period, right? And so, like I said, the the way to get there is twofold. A, you know, you have to build a network and you have to allow applications to do this general cross-chain calls to make themselves kind of native cross-chain experiences. And B, for the applications to actually go into this simple, you know, UX where a user doesn't have to you know, use a third party like bridging protocol or doesn't have to send their token from one wallet to another to actually execute the calls across chains. you have to provide various services, right and these services include things like you know uh, allowing the user to pay with the gas on one chain and their transaction being able to execute on another chain right to execute a transaction on another chain, somebody has to pay gas. so how do you do this right uh? Application developers, you know, they, they don't want to have to think about those problems, so they just want to be able to you know, make those simple cross-chain calls. And so we have things like gas services, for instance, that allow a user to you know, submit gas in one transaction on the source chain, where even if the request needs to be executed across multiple chains, all of their gas fees are folded into one transaction, and then a set of relayers and infrastructure. Will actually propagate it, you know, execute it, return the result back to the user, right? And then, alongside, whether there are various other services that these applications can tap into, like monitoring services, you know, relay, recovery, and so on and so forth. So it's really thinking about this whole user journey and saying, okay, I want to be able to do things with one click. How does applications can provide this, and what are the underlying, you know, APIs and services and protocols we need to enable? To allow for this one-click experience, and so we're kind of working on the
1: on the full stack with this, you know, final final goal in mind. Sweet. Um, I guess kind of going back to a question I posed earlier, but there are just just tons of of bridges and and different protocols all working. I guess it, and this is kind of where my question is going. Do Do you see these as competitors? Are these more uh, collaborators, collaborators, like, do you see a future where all these separate protocols are working together in unison? Or do you see, over time, the market kind of uh, zooming in on, on one entity in particular? Um, I know, obviously, you're working on Axlar, so this might be a, a, a biased question. But how, how do you see that that interoperability between these bridging and communication services themselves?
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the kind of uh, protocols that you see in pretty much all of them, right? Except for, you know, IBC in the market, they're just centralized kind of multisigs, right? Uh, that's what they use for the transport layer. So, you know, the transport layer, I don't really see kind of, you know, a lot of um, good solutions uh, outside of, you know, IBC and Acceler. Um, And then on top of it, we actually recently wrote a blog where we try to decouple different layers of interoperability, right? And it comes down to kind of your your base chain, you know, where your smart contracts are hosted. On top of it, there is like a transport layer. On top of it, there is authentication layer. And on top of it, there's just like a messaging layer, right? So I do see the industry pretty quickly, I would say, converging on this messaging layer, or like how do the packets need to look like as you send them from one chain to another? It's not that hard, okay? Like there's, you know, a handful of fields, you know, you pick, you pick some of them, most of them are pretty standard and, you know, you, you figure out like what are the length parameters and things like that you want to use there. So I do see the industry, you know, pretty quickly converge on this messaging format. At the transport layer, you know, I do see, um, I guess, potentially multiple uh, instances where different transport layers could support the interoperability, but, um, you know, in a decentralized and
3: permissionless way, there's nothing out there Um, You know, besides like IBC and Axel that I've seen so far. There's definitely an idea to the fact that the more um, blockchains that you have with your protocol and the more users you have, the more valuable it is um, uh, to the user. And, you know, we were commenting on that kind of in the beginning and we're commenting on it kind of now about how with Eli's question about how many um, underlying protocols will facilitate cross-communication. And I think a very interesting question that this kind of leads us to is uh, something to do with like complementary network effects, um, which is the effect that uh, as more users join, uh, the ease of access of the tooling and the utility of the network increases. I think the this idea, uh, applying it to Ethereum now um, is, uh, uh, doesn't really quite work anymore with how high the gas fees are. Um, and I was wondering if, you know, if we're losing this complementary network effect on Ethereum, in my mind we are, and, and, and Axelar is empowering more people to uh, access cross-chain liquidity, what's to stop developers from going somewhere else? That is isn't Ethereum and towards a different blockchain ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly
2: what we're trying to do, right? Uh, not necessarily to, you know, make you go outside of Ethereum, but to empower developers to build anywhere they want without having to worry about losing liquidity or composability or these networking effects, right? Um, I think there's something to be said about... You know liquidity and composability and you know all the networking effects that ethereum provides and you know the tooling and so on and so forth but at the same time you know the the developers always will need to optimize for their user experience right so allowing their users to interact with their application you know with little gas fees and like fast finality and so on and so forth um and you know, today they were not really able to do that, right? You either go and build on top of the fast chain that doesn't have any users, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you can have low gas fees, but you're losing these networking effects, right? Uh, or or you go build on top of Ethereum and you have strong networking effects, but then your the users pay, you know, 100, 200 bucks for gas gas fee um, when there's, uh, you know, enough enough usage there. So you kind of have, you can have the best of both worlds. I think that's what you're trying to say, right? You can have good user experience and uh, you know efficient uh, platform for
3: your application, while still having this composability. So uh, what I'm kind of hearing is that you know ETH maxis aren't going to live for very long. They, you know, it's going to be a multi-chain world and one that empowers uh, development over different um, ecosystems and users accessing those spaces. Uh, I think um, I'm going to dive into a little more technical question. Um, and so I kind of wanted to comment on the difference between IBC and Axelar's protocols. Um, it seems after doing some research, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm always learning and I like learning, um, that CTP sits on top of your uh, cross-chain gateway protocol, but IBC is just uh, a single protocol. What's the main differences between these two? And um, why would a chain join one versus the other?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think let's go back to kind of the goals that we started, right? With, which I said, like, A, we we'll want to be able to onboard ecosystems in very efficient way to the network allow the users and applications to, you know, interact with all of these ecosystems with a simple API. And so if you look at how to do it, you know, the right way is that you have to decouple various layers. You have to decouple transport from the messaging layers from application-specific protocols that could sit on top of it, okay? And so that's what we have done. There is kind of a cross-chain gateway protocol that's implemented by the Axel network, which is transport layer protocol that can do, you know, routing, message translation, discovery, and so on and so forth. On top of it, you have these you know, um, application-specific kind of messaging protocols like cross-chain you know, uh, transfer protocol, general message passing um, that uh, make it easier for the applications to interact. Now, what do you achieve by doing this? If, for instance, we continue making um, you know, upgrades at the network layer, which we we'll always do and continue like, improving the network itself, you don't have to change the application logic, right? So your application semantics. Can continue interacting with all of these ecosystems, no matter what the underlying transport protocol looks like. Okay, um, how it does validation, how it does verification. You know, could it be you know light client based, uh, you know, external validation, and so on and so forth. So we can continue innovating and improving the transport layer while allowing compatibility with the applications that are already integrated on top of it. You know, in IBC, I think you know. Um, it's all kind of a, been a little bit glued together. I think that it's actually been decoupled more and more now where you have the IBC as the protocol, you have like token transfer as an application sits on top of it. Now I think in the IBC world, there is this notion of interchain accounts, which is kind of analogous to our general message passing, which is an application layer protocol, you know, again, like sitting on top of IBC, uh, you know, as, as the transfer. So yeah, I think that they're, tr- they're, they're trying to do this now um, with these new protocols, I think we just kind of had this vision from day one where you have to have strong separation of layers in order to provide um you know all the goals that we set up I want to get uh, a
1: little more broad here, but what 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 are you most excited for in the coming months coming years what what's next for axlar uh what are you what are you working on currently that that uh that you're really excited about
2: yeah, no, I mean look, I think I'm excited to continue and just building in the space. And, you know, for us, what that means is that, like I said, like we're focused on a user experience, uh, very much so. We're focused on just expanding and broadening the whole ecosystem, um, you know, and that comes down to uh, allowing, you know, applications to be cross-chain native, right, with new interactions. So I think, honestly, you know, now we're kind of entering this bear market where, you know, a lot of the people kind of scared it and so on and so forth. I almost view it as an opportunity to, you know, kind of sit back and uh, kind of think the right way, make the right decisions on the infrastructure layer so that the next generation of applications that comes out of this, right, a year or two from now um, is going to be built with better infrastructure underneath it, right? So what I'm excited about is just continuing to, you know, work on this infrastructure layer and the pieces to help these applications be a lot more intuitive, a lot simpler for the users so that, you know, um when again um we can continue onboarding more and more you know retail users average users that you know don't have to understand multiple wallets and kind of all this cross chain interactions um so yeah that's what i'm excited about
3: i got more of um a romantic question here uh kind of like when i think about crypto the question why do i care comes up a lot in in my mind and, and i care because it's trying to facilitate um uh banking and um processes to people that were previously unbanked and i feel like that's a main story to it but i think there's also much more to what crypto is than just that and i'm wondering why do you care so much about crypto yeah so to me it's about frictionless and borderless communities
2: right um I think one thing that I like to think about is like what is the difference right? the core difference between you know web two and web three models right and in web two models, everything is centered around kind of data collection for the most part right so every web two application you interact with, there is a central provider that sits on the back end, controls you know uh, where the data goes, controls what data is displayed to you, controls what you see and who you get to interact with and what your community looks like in some sense. In Web3, what I really like is that kind of the data is public, okay? Okay. You know, we have some zero knowledge, which I think may, you know, change some of this, but um, it's all verifiable, right? You can actually go read and write data. You can prove information about it. You can prove information about the state of applications and so on and so forth. And so what that creates is the next, generation of applications that are built not around data trans- data you know aggregation monetization but build around the communities and you know this networking effects right where why what you can launch an application you can launch it as a you know fork of somebody else's application you can improve it um, make it better you can interact with all the same data that other players are interacting with and if you make it better you have a You know, better shot at getting the community. You're enriching some people to interact with your application, and they can, you know, the same way as they like it, and they can transition to to your community within a day. They might leave it within the next day, right, and go somewhere else. And so, that really puts like the product at the forefront uh, and the community at the forefront of of these conversations, right? And those are not the things you know you can do in Web two, where Both the community and kind of a you know the product is very much uh, dictated at at this point by by someone to us.
1: I think that's a beautiful way to end, Um, Sergey. Thanks so much for for taking uh, time out of your day to come talk with us. This was this was awesome. This was super informative. Um, Yeah, no, uh, we hope to uh, have you back on in the future, and very excited to see uh, Axlar and its its progress and. Uh, the innovation it's adding to the space. So yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was the Oregon Blockchain Group and Sergey Gorbanov chatting about cross chain interoperability with Axelar. Recorded on Friday, june seventeenth, two thousand twenty two. For Terraspaces.org, I'm Ben. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to terrorspaces.org slash donate and show some support. Laying there at night while I'm counting
4: sheep. Brain, I'll repeat, no amount of please Would you shut the fuck up? Yo, I'm trying to sleep. Not till you write it down to remind your genius ass in the morning. When you wake up to realize it was nothing more than a weird dream like everybody's on the tape, but things aren't always what they seem. What's real to me isn't real to you, living this reality is barely new, and if you've seen this little feud, you'd be filling up your gas tanks too. We're living in a fucking simulation of a simulation, don't look back or you'll get sucked into the miscommunication, all this dumb fucking ruckus, drink bleach here, keep it tight to demeanor and swing for the bleachers.
0: This ball is crushed.
4: A for I feel like I want to kick the bucket over, spill the fun, release some of the means of hunting all these silly motherfuckers coming at us like we don't got a bunch of guns or something. These are fucked up times we're living in and I don't need the judgment. Free the suffer, no need to suffer, the leaders busted freedom, hunt disagreements, wander cold streets filled with screaming bottom feeders. Take me to your leaders, blasting propaganda through the speakers. So if you want to build, let's build. But if you wanna steal, get buried in the field. Double duty at the Rocky Rudy Coppin' foodie, not a newbie. Got the Rudy's hustle, looking like Chewbacca threw me through the window. Fuckin' sue me, now I'm looking all hypnotic, bougie with a bunch of suckers I went to school with who barely knew me. Students sitting here, fuckin' clueless, looking at the next duck tryin' to see who the goose is. Shoulda paid more attention to the hole in the boat. Now tell me why y'all still vote.
0: imagine a world in which an old dying man's last dying wish is fulfilled. Alexa? Can you play that one sci-fi space where he clowned all the SafeMoon and XRP bag holders and then told everyone to buy Luna because it was going to a
3: thousand? I'm, I'm confused why we're not talking about the fact that you can easily, like, 300x your money on XRP. Like, you know, I son, at TikTok, I remember a time. And it's Alexa,
0: enough. I'm trying to reminisce now. I remember a time before terra spaces existed, when things that were said on random Twitter spaces would just get lost to the proverbial black hole of time. Time, time. That's the best bat. Uh-huh. Why isn't Luna in wind turbines, hey, guys, though? I'm reading all about these wind Guys, turbines. do you mind if I explain Cardano a little bit? Because I've been in Cardano since like 2018 and I can give you do a full breakdown. Um just when you thought it was safe to shill shit coins. Here. Oh my god, you guys. I don't know what to do. So much blood. It's so red. From the creators. Of your exit liquidity in association with We All Love to Hear Ourselves Talk, Inc. For more information, go to terraspaces.org/donate.